Léao, David, Hashem Ikom Damon, Eli. That's what it sounded like one month ago today in a Jerusalem cemetery at the funeral for Eliyahu David Kay. He was a 26-year-old South African who had immigrated to Israel, served in the Israeli Defense Forces as a lone soldier. And after completing his army service, Kay went to work as a tour guide at the Western Wall. On November 21st, he was gunned down by a Hamas terrorist in an attack in the Old City. Thousands of people attended his funeral the next day, including Zach Brown of Toronto. Although he didn't know the victim, the death hit very close to home. Like Kay, Brown is a Canadian who volunteered to serve in the IDF as a lone soldier without any close family in Israel to support them. Brown himself had just completed his army service, including seeing combat in the war between Israel and Hamas in May. And like you see that there was a straight up just shooting somewhere that I've been countless times, somewhere that I've walked with my friends, walked in as a soldier with my gun, without a gun and everything. And just to hear that someone, not not just any someone, but someone who used to be a lone soldier, it was something that I was able to feel. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Israel estimates there are about 6,000 lone soldiers serving in the IDF. The term refers to those recruits who have little or no support systems in the Jewish state. But it also includes young, patriotic diaspora Jews like Eliyahu Kay and Zach Brown and others who come to put their faith and Zionism into action with boots on the ground to defend Israel. The Lone Soldier program has been going on for years. Graduates from Canadian Jewish high schools head to Israel and join up for periods of about two years. It's not easy. Lone soldiers face homesickness and other problems. Suicides are an issue. The Israeli government recently acknowledged this and pledged to help. Some lone soldiers chose to remain and make a life in Israel after the army. Others return home with the IDF experience on their resumes. Canada's ambassador to Israel made headlines last year when she hosted 35 lone soldiers at her residence for a pizza party, which was seen in some quarters as tacit support for the program. But some groups in Canada have filed a complaint with the Canadian Department of Justice and the RCMP. They say it's illegal for Israel to come recruiting on Canadian soil, and they want it to stop. Coming up, We'll hear from two Canadian veterans of the Lone Soldier program about their experiences, Zach Brown and Rebecca Weiss. She just finished her army duty a year ago. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Bonnie Goldberg in Toronto, Ontario, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. Winnipeg's oldest existing synagogue, the Ashkenazi on Burroughs Avenue, will be marking its 100th anniversary in 2022. But with declining membership, the executive is working on a plan to save the historic building from either being sold or demolished. The idea is to possibly turn the place into a living Jewish museum showcasing the history of Winnipeg's North End, and there would still be room to hold religious services, but also highlight some of the famous Canadians who came out of that neighborhood, including Monty Hall and David Steinberg. The Manuk family are asking members to answer a short questionnaire before the project moves ahead and seeks funding. Zach Brown went to Or Chaim Yeshiva, a religious day school in the Toronto area, and he served with an infantry regiment, mainly in the West Bank. He's now working for a startup company called Stigo in Tel Aviv. Rebecca Weiss is from Toronto. She attended Chat for high school, then moved to Israel, 
And in 2018, she enlisted in the Magal unit. It's a basic training unit, and she was commander for other lone soldiers. She's now studying at Ben-Gurion University in Beersheba. And they both join me now. When you heard about this on the news, you know, what went through your minds when you heard this story break? Uh, Start with Rebecca. I think whenever, unfortunately, whenever these situations happen, the entire country is extremely, extremely upset even though I didn't know him personally, it, that's someone that's part of my community here in Israel. Um, and it was, it was very, very upsetting. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Zach? Where were you when you heard about it? And um, react? So I was, in, I was in Tel Aviv. I was at work. And I just heard that there was a shooting in the old city. Um, I actually ended up going to the funeral on Monday. I went uh, during the morning, ended up, I was there all day the amount of people that were just there who didn't know him, who knew him, um, just coming out to support the family and support the cause and just to show that the terrorism isn't going to win. It's we're, we're here, no matter what you want to do, even if it's in our most holy city, one of the most holy spots that we're going to have, that you're not, you're not going to beat us. We're not scared and that we're all coming together to be as one and to show that we're really not going anywhere. So what was it like... Uh- Walk us through how it was at the funeral. Um, you know, what did you, what do, what do you remember the most from being there? Because probably not the first funeral you've been to. It wasn't the first. A few years ago, right before I drafted, um, there was another lone soldier who unfortunately took his life um, when he was home. And this is like, even when I was just having the thoughts of drafting and whatnot, I still went with a few of my friends. We went to the funeral and it was just really emotional. You see all these people, thousands upon thousands of people who don't know who he is have never heard of him up until a few hours ago who are all like coming out and showing their love showing their support so it kind of like felt the same way at ellie's funeral because a lot of people didn't know him i've heard of the family before because they're from od and i've been there a lot for shabbos but i didn't personally know him um but i knew a lot of people who knew him and it was kind of like you see you go to the funeral and you just see a million different people and people from like all walks of life, guys who are Haredi, guys who are and guys who are barely, who don't know they're Jewish, non-Jews, everyone, everyone's just there. And they're there for one cause, not to show a political statement or whatnot, but it's really just to bring the sort of support to a family during a time, during a time that they're going through that could be really hard for them. You mentioned uh, a case, and it's not the first, sorry, that I've heard about where the issue of suicide among lone soldiers has been raised in the news. And um, I remember reading about a new center that was built for support of lone soldiers under the previous uh, Benjamin Netanyahu government just recently, like within the last couple of years. Um, you know, what do you know about that and, and any connections to it or people who went to there? I haven't heard anything since they launched it, honestly. Um, I don't know why, um, but I remember seeing it. Um, and I know that they have like a 24-hour uh, helpline, uh, things like that. But um, otherwise, I haven't really seen so much about it. Mm-hmm. I don't really know much about it, but um, that I feel like if a lot of people um, were to go to the army and be like, I have this issue, this is what I'm thinking, that number one, I don't think the army would necessarily take them as serious as they should. Um, it, it's literally last night, one of my, one of my friends who's a commander and in, in one of the elite units or so, 
um, sent a text to our group chat, like, what do I do? I have this kid who's on like suicide watch. And it's like, okay, you need to get him someone to talk to, but not, not like this commanders. You want to get out of the army atmosphere. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, they just told him to be with two commanders, no guns in the room. It's like, to me, it's like, that's a very intimidating situation. If I've never, thank God, I've never been in that mindset, but it's like, I can only imagine for someone who's going through that, it's because they're in the army. It's because of the situation that they're in. And in order to get out of the situation, it shouldn't be dealt with in a sort of army situation. I, I mean, I wasn't planning to go down this path, but I really appreciate that that you brought that up because life as a lone soldier is not all roses and, and fun and, you know, glita and falafel or whatever, you know, there's, it's hard. When you were in um, doing your, your service, let's talk about this first, Rebecca, you know, what did you specifically do? How long was it? Sure. Um, I drafted in November, 2018. I was a, I, I went in specifically to be a basic training commander for the lowest type of training, um, which is zero two, it's called. Um, and then halfway through my service, right before March, 2020, um, I moved to a base called Mechvelon, um, which is for new immigrants. And I was a basic training for uh, new immigrants and they just drafted during Corona. I stayed with them for four days at a time. It was very intense. Um, lots of stories about that. Um, yeah. And then I got out about a year ago. And you said it was very intense. Lots of stories. Give me one. Very intense. Um, with every, all the soldiers that I had from all over the world, um, if it was from Russia, Ukraine, Brazil, Australia, France. Um, and there were also the, the, the American soldiers who wanted to be there and wanted to prove something and, and looked up to me, which was a nice feeling sometimes. Um, then there's others who have a different mindset and don't want to be there. Why wouldn't they want to be there if they're lone soldiers? I thought that's the point. The, the ones that came for reasons that, are, that we're not used to, like running away from home or, or looking for a better life. So economic reasons, running away from home, and then pure Zionism and patriotism and love of Israel, which is, I assume, where you guys fit in, Jack. How, yeah. did, you, how did you, what was your journey like? Um, so I drafted to the Kfir Brigade, which is a combat unit that primarily specializes in urban warfare in the West Bank um, and like surrounding areas there. I was trained to be the company commander's right-hand man, and I was the top sharpshooter in our company. So I was always first in and whatnot. Um, I led countless, countless checkpoints, countless patrols, um, been on many arrests, um, Lots of protests, had lots of lots of experiences in the army, to say the least. You uh, left four to five months ago. So that means you were right in the heart of the latest war. Um, are you allowed to say what you did and how it was? Um, so we were originally in three months of training, um, like more advanced training, um, I was actually in the middle of the fields. We were in the shooting ranges sleeping. And then we get a text at two in the morning saying, okay, we need to go to Tsomotapuach um, at like five in the morning, buses are coming to get us, which Tsomotapuach, if you've heard about it, it's where one of the most dangerous uh, junctions in all of Israel, um, lots of shootings have gone down there, lots of stabbings and, and whatnot. So we were being deployed to there for no one knew how long. 
um, because it was just the start of the operation itself where no one knew if we're going in, if are we going to Gaza, are we going here for how long, are we going to Gaza tomorrow? No one, no one really knew it was happening. Um, so we go, we go to the Tzomet area and the surrounding um, cities nearby. And we're doing a lot of, a lot of patrols, um, a lot of ambushes, which is kind of where we set up camp um, just like ourselves and, and whatnot. And we sit there in bushes waiting to see if, any terrorists are going to come towards the road and start throwing stuff onto cars, regardless if they're Palestinian or Israeli, um, just if they're going to come and try and cause trouble. So that was a lot of our time that we spent. Um, we had a lot of, a lot of um, riots also during that time, because in that, in that time, there was also a new settlement that was going up called Eviatar, which was very, very, um, it was, con- it was, there was a huge contradiction in all of Israel about it because, a few a few Jews literally just were like, okay, we're going to go take this hill. And that's what they did. Um, so a lot of the Palestinians surrounding were like, okay, you guys can't just do that and whatnot. So they started doing a lot of protests, uh, lighting up everything around all the fields next to, next to the Aviatar. So we had to spend a lot of time there, whether it was stopping Jews from throwing rocks at the Palestinians or Palestinians stopping them from burning the field in general. Um, so we were just kind of there for riot control. Um, which was hectic, but at the end of the day, it's what has to be done for both sides. Um, the outpouring of anti-Israel and Jew hatred uh, at this time on social media, you probably were aware of it, right? Uh, especially back yeah. in your campuses and universities and in Canada, there were so many um, anti-Semitic and anti-Israel tweets and, and Instagram stuff. You know, how does that play out for somebody who's a lone soldier in Israel participating in this war um, while, while you see this stuff happening in the social media uh, world? We'll start with you, Rebecca, because you do this for a living. Yeah, I think it's, I think this time, especially uh, this past May, it's, I think it's the first time we're really social. It was more of like, not more, but it was, there was definitely a social media war. Um, I was at the time when I was a, a Madrikha counselor for, for Ramah um, and all my, my, my um, the, the students, they were 14, 15 and all those, they were like all day on social media, TikTok and everything. And they were having fights with, with their friends over social media from from the states and it blew up into a whole thing so zach you were on the ground in the war and then the whole world is having an internet war right um a lot of the people who were big influencers about the palestinian conflict who think they're the smartest people in the world they don't want to come here and see the truth and see that you know maybe israel is actually doing stuff for the palestinians I think to get the bad social media, like those influencers or whatever, if they want to actually come see what's going on, they're more than invited. Um, I don't know if they'll get a warm welcome in the places that they're standing up for. Um, I'm not sure that the money that they raise on social media is going to where they think it's going. And if they, if they want to come see this, then they're, they're more than welcome. And when are you coming home next? <laughs> Or that is home um, Canada. I don't know if my parents are going to like that I say this, but I'm pretty sure I've told them this. Israel is my home. Toronto is a place that I visit. Um, so eventually, you know, no rush, especially now with all this Corona stuff going on. Um, safer to be here, I guess. I have another common uh, sentence that people say is that when they're, 
when they're in Israel, they feel more Canadian. When they're in, when you're in Canada, you feel more Israeli. Um, that's also more common. But I'm, I'll probably be back in the summer. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Lauren Opler, one of our earliest followers here at the CJN Daily, and he's been a contributor to the CJN, too. And we'll end the episode by reminding you all to consider joining the CJN Circle. Your membership will help us continue to do important Jewish journalism, and you'll get home delivery of a print edition of the CJN magazine four times a year, exclusive emails with sneak peeks of the print-at-home weekly newspaper, and invitations to events. It's $100 a year, $250 for a family of five, and a lifetime membership is $1,000. Go to our website at thecjn.ca and just click on Membership. 